Welcome to Political Zach, the podcast where we t- where we talk about Utah uh, politics and policy. I'm Corey Asta, joined by Utah State Senator Todd, Todd Todd Weiler. What's up, Todd? Not much, Corey. At some point, I'm going to get this out of my mouth. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, well, it has been an incredibly eventful week, and yeah. I think the, obviously the biggest news is the Cinderella story that is Congressional District Two. Celeste Malloy is the GOP nominee and about a 99% chance of being our uh, new member of Congress f- from Utah. She won with 38%. Becky Edwards had 33%. Bruce Huff had 28%. So it was relatively close. But Becky was leading most of ele- at the end of election night. And I got about a thousand texts from people saying like, I can't believe Becky won. And then more ballots came in, more got counted. And Celeste ended up winning pretty handily, actually by five points is pretty, I mean, that's a big win. So obviously she was hugely outspent. We talked about, we talked about this, Becky and Bruce both spent hundreds of thousands more and, uh, and Celeste, you know, who doesn't have any personal money was able to raise just enough. And uh, what really stuck out, I think to all of us is the urban rural divide. And I guess we shouldn't be too shocked by that, that Celeste grew up in, um, down south towards St. George. And, and so those folks, they came out in full force and voted for her where Becky and did, um, did much better in Northern Utah counties and Davis County. And obviously, and, and Bruce kind of, he was kind of in the middle for both, but, you know, congratulations to Celeste Malloy and congratulations to rural Utah, Southern Utah, who now has represented for the first time ever. And I'm sure that they're pretty excited about that. What do you think, Todd? Oh, I I agree. So remember, I mean, when we talk about Cinderella's story, Celeste wasn't supposed to win the convention. Greg Hughes was. Celeste wasn't supposed to win the primary. Becky Edwards was. And so she has just defied all odds. Um, It's quite amazing. And I think um, for, for those people who like to defend the caucus, this is what the caucus was designed for, is for people uh, like Celeste who aren't well known and don't have a lot of money um, and, you know, to be able to go and, and impress the delegates on a one-on-one basis and, and make it to Congress. And so, you know, a lot of people want to say that Senate Bill 54 gutted the caucus, ruined the caucus. I don't want to have that debate right now. But the reason I voted for Senate Bill 54 was to save the caucus. We believed that without Senate Bill 54, we were going to end up with a direct primary because of a citizen's initiative that was backed by Count My Vote. Um, but in, in any event, the, the last time we had a special election for Congress, the caucus winner, Chris Harrod, lost badly uh, you know, to John Curtis. Uh, you know, it was a similar three-way race because Tanner Ainge was in. But you know, it's kind of satisfying to see the caucus winner win. Now, I'm good friends with Becky Edwards, and you know, she was up for like by 10,000 votes, you know, the first two hours. And so I'm sure this was an unexpected and devastating loss. At the same time, you know, when that Deseret News news poll came out two weeks ago that had her, you know, way ahead of everybody else, I kept on saying, wait a second, yeah, 47% are undecided. So she's got 32% yeah. vote. We don't know what her ceiling is. And, uh, you know, it looks like that 32% wasn't too far off from her ceiling. So, um, you know, that, and there are, they're just, we all knew that there were Republicans who, w- who would not vote for Becky Edwards because they perceived her as, as too moderate. And so it, it's a fascinating 
fascinating result. And so her main opponent in November is Kathleen Reby, who is a, you know, as a Democrat. Um, I was teasing Kathleen. I saw her, we were at an event a couple of days ago, but she's what I would call a liberal Democrat who's now um, kind of pretending to be a moderate. I got several flyers from Becky, uh, who's uh, well considered a moderate, you know, call, calling herself a conservative. And certain she, certainly she is conservative on some issues, but um, it is interesting um, how, how, how when people run for office, they kind of want to um, you know, they 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 want to kind of posture themselves so they can get as many votes as possible. Yeah. So you made the point on our last podcast that that you thought Becky had a ceiling of about 32, 33, and that was right on the number. She it she was a guess. There. It was just a guess. <laughs> so it was right on. And uh there was some really interesting Facebook traffic uh, led by by uh one of your Democratic colleagues basically chiding other Democrats saying like well, here's evidence. Here's example number two in the same year of why trying to vote in the Republican primary is not is not the way to win. Yeah. And uh, I'm not saying that happened, but I'm pretty sure it did. Um, but we should also point out that this was a special election to fill the remainder of Congressman Chris Stewart's term, which is basically the next couple of months and next year. And so what do we think, Todd, is the over-under that Celeste has a very serious challenger this spring in the, the caucus when it's, we do the convention again? And it's not this spring, it's January. Our, we have moved our filing period up to the first week of ah. So whoever wins at the uh, end of November will have to file because they're just running for the last you know 13 months of Chris Stewart's term. And so Celeste, you know, after she wins, she'll have to refile January first week uh, for for a two year term. Um, you know, I think if Becky had won, it's all but guaranteed there would be some conservative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it'd be interesting to see if. Uh, well, remember there was one candidate who did not show up at the convention in Delta and said, "I'm just going to run next year." And he, I don't remember his name because he wasn't, you know, a well known candidate. But um, so I think that she'll get some opposition, um, but I don't think she's going to get a lot of big guns because I, f I feel like she's now got the bona fides. She's won twice when she wasn't supposed to. She'll be an incumbent next year, which means it it'll be a lot easier for her to raise money, um, yeah. in my opinion. Um, and uh, so, I, you know, time will tell. I need to comment on the counties because. Uh, I, I'm just looking um, that and I can't believe it hasn't updated, but Juab County is still all three candidates, 26 to 26 to 26. Wow. And interestingly, that's the only county that um, Bruce Huff did not lose. So he's tied in Juab County um, and he did beat Becky um, in a few counties like Beaver. Uh, he finished second, but um it's interesting. Bruce spent a lot of his own money and, you know, had he kind of at the end tried to characterize himself as an outsider. That's interesting. I I would tell people that didn't know Bruce. He's kind of an insider's insider. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's involved in the you know inner workings of the Republican Party for over 30 years. But, um, you know, uh, two things I want to say about this election. Number one, I think usually endorsements aren't that helpful. I think they were extremely helpful to Celeste because she was unknown. 
because this was a weird special election over the summer because this was a truncated campaign season. So I, I think a lot of people have thought, oh, well, Chris Stewart and Rob Bishop and my state senator are all endorsing her. Well, she must, you know, she must be okay. Yeah. Um, number two, you know, we've seen Ben McAdams, Jason Chaffetz, Blake Moore, Burgess Owens, and um, uh, Scott Ma- or Jim Matheson at the end. We've seen like five recent Congress people, relatively recent, who were elected outside their district. And so the conventional wisdom in Utah has become you don't have to live in your district to run for Congress. But this race, in this particular race, I think geography did hurt Bruce Huff, that he lived outside of the district. And I think geography hurt Becky Edwards, that she lived, you know, she did, she wasn't from Southern Utah. Now, you know, Becky got 5,848 votes from Washington County, but Celeste got 6,397 votes in Davis County, which mm-hmm. I think is fascinating. Um, and so, uh, but where Becky really cleaned up, uh, and I think this was to be expected in Salt Lake County, she got uh, 9,400 votes compared to 3,400 for Bruce and 3,200 for Celeste. And so, um, yeah, it was it was very much um, kind of rural versus urban, and the uh, the rural went for Celeste, and the urban went a little bit more for for Becky. Um, in, in any event, fascinating results, and I don't think. In my recent memory, I've ever seen a candidate shoot out in Utah locally, shoot out so far ahead. I mean, she was well above 50 percent. Becky was the first two hours and then end up not winning. And so, um, yeah, uh, very, very interesting. Interesting stuff. And so I want to close this topic by giving my ode to the retiring Congressman Chris Stewart. So his last day is going to be uh, Friday, I think, the 15th. And I think that he's uh, is one of the best public servants we've ever had in Utah. I'm a huge fan. He's a good man, a great legislator. He's he's doing it for the right reasons. And I know that he spent every day trying to do his very best and didn't uh, doing it for the right reasons. So I want to say thank you, Chris. Thanks for your service. Uh, thanks for being such a good person and, and caring about the state. And, uh, you know, all the best to you and your wife and, and family moving forward. Yeah, I echo those comments. He's he's a great guy, and um, I think he'll be missed in Utah and in Washington. Uh, unfortunately, these days, if if you're effective, if you're doing anything, you're going to have some enemies. But I know Chris personally. I, I know his wife a little bit, and they are very uh, high quality people. So I mm-hmm. wish we had more public servants like uh, Chris Stewart. So also this week, we had some interesting news inside the legislature. Senator Jake Anderegg, who from uh, Senate District 22, and this is the top of Utah County, where I live. He And the bottom of Salt Lake County. <laughs> and, and a little bit of Draper, yeah. And he abruptly resigned this week. It seems he had some other career opportunities, and maybe you could give us some backstory on that, Todd. There's going to be a special election of of state delegates. He's set his date as October 15th to resign. So we don't know exactly when, when the actual uh, decision will be made election, but some, sometime after that, got any insight on that Todd or what it means for the legislature? Well, I think for most of his legislative career, um, Jake has worked uh, for Zion's bank and last December 
Uh, he set up his own um, consulting business. Jake has an MBA, if, if, for those of you that don't know that. And um, in, in January, he started um, signing contracts with clients. And one of his clients is uh, Utah County. So the county commission signed a contract with him. And some people, including, I guess, Robert Gerke at the Tribune, uh, were saying that that would be a conflict of interest. And um, and I think rather than kind of deal with that, um, I haven't talked to Jake about it, but ultimately, I, I think he he made the decision because some people thought that was a conflict of interest that he would leave the legislature. Um, I've really enjoyed working with Jake. Uh, he entered the House just one session after I started in the Senate. He's been in the Senate the last, I think, seven years, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but he's, uh, you know, he's grown as a legislature. I've kind of watched that growth. And the last um, two years or so, he's chaired the Social Services Committee, which I serve on and has done a great job there. And that, it's, it's a huge assignment, um, uh, the biggest portion of the budget, bigger portion of the state budget than our education committee, which is just amazing. But a lot of that is federal funding passed through for not only food stamps and unemployment, but also for Medi you know, Med Medicaid and, um, and, and CHIP and all of those, um, uh, well, TANF, which is welfare, et cetera. So yeah, he'll, he'll be missed. And uh, he's a smart guy. He's hardworking. And, you know, just physically, he's, you know, I don't know, six foot five or something. And uh, just a big, larger-than-life guy and really deep voice. So uh, I've enjoyed working with Jake, and um, we'll see. Uh, I, I'm sure there's going to be a mad scramble. Don't you live in that district, Corey? <laughs> I do indeed. So yeah, I'm sure there's going to be a mad scramble to uh, to replace him. So um, other than you, Corey, that lives in the district. I know um, Emily Lockhart um, uh, lives in that district. Her mother is, uh, uh, or, you know, is uh, Becky Lockhart. And I know Emily just got an MBA. I've heard that both Corey Malloy and Jeff Stenquist, who are current House members, live in that district. And I've kind of—I haven't talked to either one of them, but I understand that they're um, that they're mulling a run, which almost every House member does when their senator resigns midterm. This is uh, the best and easiest and cheapest way to get a seat in the legislature because it's it's usually about a one-month cycle, and you just have to market yourself to 150 or 200 delegates. And uh, if you get in, just like Celeste Malloy, then you have that incumbent status. And so this would be a, a special election by the delegates in Utah County in that district and the South, South Salt Lake County. And then the governor would appoint the one name that the party forwards to, to, to the governor. So we should know by the end of October who the new state senator for Senate District 22 will be. Yeah, it's gonna be very interesting. And uh, thank you, Jake, for your service. Yes. And I know that uh, I live in Lehigh and, and you've done a lot for the for the city and for our community and for Saratoga and everything. And so way to go. And thanks for that. And good luck on your next career move. I'm sure it's going to be interesting. One one lighthearted thing that I wanted to chat about, which was this past week, many of us saw that the burning man event that happens in nevada which i i only i can only gather is a is a is a convening of of debauchery <laughs> I, I would guess that there's a little bit of drug use there and maybe some people hooking up i don't know lots of concerts 
Well, it rained super hard and they all got stuck in the mud. And apparently it took uh, some of them several days before they get out. And so I'm not, you know, I'm not rooting for people to get stuck and, you know, run out of water and everything like that. Even some celebrities had to walk like four hours to get out of there. <laughs> I heard that. That's so interesting. But the reason I'm bringing it up here is because you're like, well, why do we care? But, but uh, um, Senator Mike Lee, he weighed in on Twitter to what he said was he, he believes that the Burning Man flood is God's judgment on their behavior, on their activities in Nevada. <laughs> now, I'm not going to weigh in on that, whether that's true or not. But, you know, I, I don't uh, I don't think that his view is probably so far off, you know, many of the views of people in Utah. So. <laughs> Well, you know, I think that uh, it's an interesting comment. I'm, I'm assuming it was lighthearted. I'm assuming it was tongue in cheek, but uh, I, I have never been to Birmingham. I can't imagine any set of scenarios where scenarios where I would end up going to Birmingham. Um, it's, it's unbelievable to me. I think there were eighty thousand people there this year. This is like eighty thousand. It was between sixty and eighty thousand. Wow. And my immediate thought, because you'll know how my brain works, is. How many porta potties is that? You know, for yeah, it's gonna be billions, eighty thousand people. Well, how, and how do they get those out? I mean, yeah, I'm guessing they must have just used their camp trailers. I don't know, but yeah, eighty thousand people for for the you know pagan hedonistic uh, ritual of the year. <laughs> That's yeah. a lot. It's a lot of people, and I, I, you know, there's a lot of interesting events that go on. I was up uh, in Sturgis one year. Uh, when they were doing the big motorcycle rally, I, I was just there with my in-laws to go see the the foreheads and rock on the mountain there. But, but you know, we saw you're about 10,000 bikers, you know, and anyways, it, it, we live in a fascinating country and isn't yeah. one everybody can be free. I, I don't know if that was God's judgment or just, uh, you know, <laughs> seasonal rains, you know, uh, anyway, but uh, interesting comment from our center. Hey Corey, let me just tell you, I'm I'm broadcasting live right now from um, from South Carolina. I just finished up a really fabulous weekend uh, with um, the Brent uh, Major Brent Taylor Foundation, and I didn't know this, but there is a wall that has been constructed in um, Columbus, Georgia, honoring those uh, soldiers who have fallen in the war on terrorism. So there's about seven thousand names on this wall, and um, I. I accompanied uh, a group of Blue Star uh, and Gold Star families from Utah back for a rededication ceremony and had a, a privilege of spending a couple of days with these people who have lost, you know, soldiers um, in Afghanistan, Iraq, and otherwise. And of course, this is led by Jenny Taylor, who lost her husband, Brent Taylor, there. Uh, he was the mayor of, Ogden, of North Ogden at the time. Uh, but what a fabulous event. If any of you ever get to... Uh, to, in the vicinity of Columbus, Georgia, go to the National Infantry Museum. It's just a fabulous museum, fabulous wall. And I understand, um, I think in the next couple of years, they're going to build a similar wall in D.C. For, for these, you know, because we've got the Korean War and we've got the Vietnam War. And of course, we've got World War One and World War Two. But of course, George W. Bush announced the war on terrorism. And um, good news, bad news, this year, 2023, uh, we we had no new aim, names to add to the wall. That's the good news. The bad news is is um, uh, our president has kind of suspended the war on terrorism, which is why there were no new names because the t terrorism has not stopped. Terror terrorism 
has not been defeated. So in any event, I don't want to get too political on that, but what a special place and what a special weekend for my wife and I to be able to join those families there. I, I do. I was invited because I chair the uh, Veterans and Military Affairs um, Committee. I co-chair that in the in the legislature. Good stuff. Thanks for sharing that. I think I think that's a great place to end. Thanks All so right. much, Tom. We'll Thanks. see you next week. Thanks, Thanks. Corey. See you. Bye. All right.